Welcome to The Story Field. This is a podcast created and sponsored by The Allen Firm. This is Josh Allen, and I'm joined by Micah Petrie. I think you'll agree that life is complex, business is hard, and living a life of faith can feel complicated. We know it's discouraging when movement in your life or business or faith has stopped. Well, you're in the right place to hear some great stories of normal people, just like us, who will inspire you to move forward in life. So thank you for joining us today. We know you're going to be encouraged. Okay, Storyfield, I have a question today. What does surfing, spearfishing, real estate, and preaching have in common? <laughs> well, the answer is our guest today, Jason Clemens. So Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's an honor. So I want to be I want to be completely honest. So I'm not really sure where this interview is going to go go today and where it's going to end up. And that's I'm actually really excited about it. Okay. So I'm gonna give a little little bit of background on you, Jason. Yep. Um, Jason is a Florida guy. He lives in a Tarpon Springs, Florida. Um, everybody listening in Central Texas can be jealous for just a minute. Um, he's a he's bivocational, meaning he's a pastor of a local church um, named the Fellowship of Believers in Christ Jesus. But he also works as a real estate broker and consultant for several of the businesses, and and another one. Um, something on ESS Global Corp, which will you tell us what that is? So, from what I gather, you're an adventurer. You love all things ocean, including, like I mentioned, spear fishing and surfing. But most importantly, he's a Holy Spirit filled Jesus man and a, a follower and a husband, and he's got three awesome daughters. Is that fair introduction, Jason? I think that's pretty fair. I don't sound I don't I don't sound too bad on on paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's, well, we did our job then. Okay, well, we try to we kind of try to do this in like a chronology a little bit just to give some. So tell us a little bit. Start us with your childhood, like growing up, you know, Florida, all this stuff. Just kind of, you know, yep. start us from the beginning. Dad was a Air Force Academy pilot. Uh, went to the Air Force Academy on a full ride scholarship, uh, academic and athletic. Um, his dad was a, a Special Forces pararescueman and did four tours in Vietnam. Um, mom was a university of Colorado, a cheerleader and her parents were, um, former prisoners of war in Germany, uh, before they came to the States, their Parisian background, uh, they were political prisoners of the Nazis. My grandmother spent uh, three years in prison camp before she came to the States. Um, and so our backgrounds were varied. My, my dad's side <coughs> Greek. Um, from the islands in Greece, uh, the Kalimians uh, are, are Kalimnos is, an, is one of the islands in the Dodecanese chain. If you've ever flown over Greece, there's thousands of little islands out there. It's absolutely beautiful. And Kalimnos is a very small one. You can see um, the island of Patmos, where John mm. wrote the book of Revelation from that island. And um, like I said, mom's side of the family are French. And um, so my mom and dad got together in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, dad was repaying his GI Bill as a um, uh, general's aide after he stopped flying jets. And so when he did that, uh, he bounced around a couple different bases, had my brother Chris, who uh, is a minister who left our church 100 years ago, it seems like now. Uh, first job was with Joel Olstein running his young adults um, group. And then um, 
had me in North Carolina. I'm born in Pinehurst, North Carolina, home of some pretty fancy golf courses. And, um, um, and then we landed in Texas, actually, in San Antonio. And so I love Texas, man. You guys are awesome. I feel I, I thought I was Texan uh, when I was a little boy. I tell people a lot of times when I showed up at Tarpon Springs, I didn't know what Greek boy meant. I thought I was Spanish. <laughs> I was raised by my my grandpa, my grandparents on my mom's side after the after the war and coming to the states and immigrating, um, owned hotels, and so uh, one of their hotels was in San Antonio. As you can imagine, much of their staff was Spanish, and so I thought I was a little Mexican boy, and I I grew up on homemade tortillas and you know um, Mrs. Diaz is cooking after school and that whole thing. Yeah. So came to Tarpon Springs when I was about uh, seven years old. By this time, dad had gone through uh, St. Mary's uh, Law School in San Antonio and then on to University of Florida for an LLM in taxation. Uh, We spent a year or two in Gainesville and then uh, wound up in in Tarpon Springs, close to where his family had settled in one of the largest Greek communities on the eastern seaboard here in Tarpon Springs, which is just outside the Tampa Bay area, about 30 minutes north of Clearwater. And so it's a two traffic light town. Um, and, um, everybody here for the most part has a huge cultural, um, background from, uh, the Greek, the Greek culture. And so, um, it was culture shock for me coming from Texas. Um, and then, um, dad, uh, had, was a partner at a local law firm, my mom, a real estate broker amongst other things. And so they didn't really work together back in those days, but they were both white collar, workers. I have, like I said, two brothers total. And uh, my younger brother, Matthew, um, was born somewhere along the way there in Gainesville. He's a little gator baby. Um, With that being said, uh, we landed in Tarpon. The practice started. My mom's real estate business started. And we were off and running. And we grew up a block away from the beach. We played t-ball and we were athletic, you know, studs uh, to toot my own horn. But we own T-ball and uh, mostly baseball and basketball was our thing. And we did really well. Uh, that kept us out of some trouble, but I was in trouble from an early, an early age. Um, I'd say probably, you know, less than 11 um, for whatever reason, even despite having a great family, no one knew Jesus. We had a form of religion um, that is the Greek Orthodox um, variety. It's a lot like Catholicism. Uh, we don't have a Pope. We have a, an Archbishop. And um, there's some, some other dissimilarities, but they're very similar to the outside world. Um, and so long story short, things kept, continued on that path until they imploded. My dad was 42 years old. Um, and my mom was about the same age on my dad's birthday. My let me let me step back one. My mom, somewhere along the line, went into her real estate office. I'm probably 13 years old. She was going to go do a deal. She said, as an unbeliever, that an angel told her in a feminine voice to call 911 because she was going to die. My mom picked up the phone, called 911, then passed out right there by the phone in the office. Um, she had a brain aneurysm and. Um, they rushed her to a local hospital, which is not known for craniotomies. 
Um, a Jewish doctor operated on her, Dr. Hal Kobistani, I'll never forget his name. And my mom survived miraculously, um, uh, uh, you know, what, what should have been a fatal a brain hemorrhage. Um, my mom, after she came home, had a, you know, scar that was like 75 staples. She had a titanium plate in her head. And um, she spent about six months on some kind of barbiturate. I don't know what, but it was a terrible drug that kept her in her bed. And when she came out of her bedroom after about six months, she said, I'm done doing this mommy stuff. I don't want to be the mother to three little boys anymore. I got a second lease on life and I'm leaving. She filed divorce on my dad's birthday with the biggest law firm out of Tampa. Um, she cleaned out our house in our gated community here in town. And uh, my dad looked at us and we, we told mom, go good riddance. She walked out the door. My dad looked at us boys and said, it's going to be okay. Grabbed a bottle of scotch off the uh, top of the refrigerator and uh, said, we're going to figure a way out of this. Oh my gosh. There's so much there I want to ask about, but tell me like, so what was your age at the time then? I'm um, about uh, 13, 14. Yeah. Now I'm probably 15. <laughs> My oldest okay. brother's 17. My youngest brother's nine. And okay. Yeah. So after she got home from the hospital, she was in bed for six months. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I'll, no, that's I'll, it. She was in bed for six months when she had that second lease on life. She just wasn't going back to the way it was before she was done. Um, we all were heartbroken when she decided to leave and, and just didn't know what to do. By this time, uh, my, my older brother, 17, I'm 15. I'm already in trouble with grades. I'm already chasing girls and doing drugs. Um, just not as much as my other friends because they were even worse than me. And uh, my younger brother's too young to really know what's going on at nine. And, uh, but we're getting away with murder almost literally. And, um, and so um, we had our heads in the clouds. We were telling my dad, we were giving him awful advice. Dad, you should go marry your secretary, forget mom, whatever. Somewhere in the middle of that, at a t-ball practice for my little nine-year-old brother, um, my dad met a man who was one of the parents of, you know, that brought his son to the t-ball practice and said, man, I don't know what to do. My wife's gone crazy. She's cleaned out the house and whatever. And he started uh, witnessing to him and just basically tell him about Jesus. My dad, being a voracious reader um, and just a guy who loved to read, I mean, it, would be, it wouldn't be uncommon for my dad to plow through a couple books a week for fun. Um, you know, he just uh, was a machine like that and constantly um, digging. And um, so he got with a friend over the hood of the car at baseball practice Guy started just telling him about Jesus and pointing him to the scriptures. Well, lo and behold, sometime between the time my mom moved out, started a liaison with some man at a, at a condo down the street in a small town where everybody talks with a Greek man who's very Greek. And you don't get away with that with, you know, those kind of this culture doesn't do well with the betrayal. Um, my dad said, I came across Romans 10, 9. And that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. My dad was an altar boy. My dad was a good man. He was a smart guy, overachiever type A, um, by all accounts, a good guy from everyone who knew him. He was the good boy growing up. You just 
he was he was he was uh, the 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 darling of the family, if you were. You know, he's well, a lawyer. Was well, an Air Force pilot, pilot, uh, and, attorney, yeah. a accomplished. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, I mean, he aced the SAT. You know, the guy was just he had always all that in a gumball, and he came across that scripture. And even as despite all the good he had done. Um, that other times he had read the Bible, the, the being an altar boy at the Greek church, he realized he had never done what the scripture said to do. So he stopped by himself, said that, confessed that prayer out of Romans 10, 9. And just like that, Jesus became real to him. Oh, my goodness. How old was he at that time? Do you remember? 42 years old. Okay. So he didn't tell anybody initially. But he went and he told his best friend, that was my grandpa. He was uh, Papu, is what we call grandpas in Greek, was a four-tour Vietnam vet and special forces guy who was, till to this day, he's the hardest man I ever met in my life. And, and, and uh, uh, he made his way all the way through the military uh, as, an, as an enlisted guy, all the way to the highest rank you could. So he worked his way up from the bottom. Did all the hazard pay, all the jump pay, jumped out of planes at night in the ocean with scuba tanks on before there were SEALs, you know, that whole thing back back in the day. So he just did it all, said it all. And, you know, went and told Pop. He said, Pop, I prayed this prayer. God is speaking to me. I, I, he's, he's speaking to me. My grandpa said to my dad, George, you're under too much stress. And he said, Pop, are you like Thomas? Do you have to put your fingers in the holes of his hands to believe that he died and rose again? He said, you're the one that told me all those hazard pay jobs you did and all the war to, to trust God. I'm telling you now, he's speaking to me. He's alive and you don't believe me. Pray this prayer. See what happens. See if I'm telling you the truth. Three days later, Pop met Jesus at 72 years old. So this is causing huge upheaval in a very tight-knit family. Um, most Greek families are. And so everybody was taking sides, you know, against my mom, for my dad. And now they're bringing this Jesus into it. And we're like, everybody's like, you guys have lost your minds. My dad, um, thank God he was listening, um, listening to the Lord, came to us as his sons and said, I'm going to your mother. I'm going to go tell her what's happened to me. I don't care whether she ever comes back or not. I didn't have to go through the other commandments, the seventh commandment, the sixth commandment, the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and have none other before him. He said, I loved your mother. I loved you kids. I loved my job, but I didn't love the Lord first. I'm going to tell her what's happened to me. No matter what she does, I'm never going back to the way it was. I will serve the Lord forever, but I'm going to go tell her what's happened to me. We're like, don't do it. It's a waste of time. You're, you're foolish, you know, forget her, you know, whatever. What, how long was she filed in the time this happened? Yeah. To be perfectly honest with you, I was on copious amounts of drugs by this time. Nothing serious, just, you know, drinking and, you know, drugging and whatever we get our hands on, you know, and um, so it's a little hazy, and uh, I would say it's probably three, three or four months, sometime right in, in a 15, 16-year-old uh, area. So and my dad shows up. The divorce was in final? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, he, he filed for divorce on his birthday. 
That's how she had him served. Oh, and uh, that's to tell you that my mom's my mom's feisty. And so, uh, you know, so she files on his birthday and then three or four months goes by and um, dad goes over there to tell her what's happened. Took her a bit like a Billy Graham track, you know, received Jesus and told her what happened and then left. Three days later, mom meets Jesus. God supernaturally restores their marriage. Uh, puts them in a bubble of joy, like two children who have fallen in love for the first time, completely drives the family crazy, all of us, except for them. And they spent about six or eight months in this little love bubble that nobody could break them out of, just loving God, being loved by God, loving each other, complete work of the Holy Ghost to have my dad forgive my mom for what went down. And we were just all completely confused. We're like, what has happened? I'm blown away by that. I mean, also because I, I can't imagine the the culture of people around them saying, you can't act like that. Look what she did. Like, you can't. Yeah, I mean, we do were, you remember we were that? that culture. <laughs> do what? <laughs> Me and my brothers were in the front seat of that culture. We're oh. like, dad, don't do it. You're, you're crazy. This is a fad. It'll pass. This Jesus stuff is going to pass. You know, she does. She deserves nothing. Um, she walked out on us. I mean, I, I'm a big loyalty guy. Maybe not as much as my dad is, but I'm a big loyalty guy. And I was, I was so brokenhearted by her. I can still see her this day at 41 now, 42, walking out the door. And I told her some choice words on her way out. And um, you know, it, it's it's hard to think about, but it it, it hurt on a level that's uh marking oh yeah i mean at that age too i mean so you're 42 now almost yeah. i i am too so I mean, this is this kind of a that's an interesting time i mean we can kind of put ourselves in your dad's shoes that's incredible so okay sorry for interruption keep on so they were six months they yeah. Were yeah so they so god restores this relationship it, this one choice of my dad. Now, if your viewers, listeners ever hear this, anyone who's listening to this podcast, the most important part of this story, my dad said to me, and a lot of people mishear or hear what they want, but I pray your listeners hear this. He was never going back to the way it was, regardless if she came back or not. He was going to love God first with everything he had, and it was never going back to the way it was. That's that was the game changer for our family. And I, I will tell you, man, I am so thankful for that man's stance towards the Lord and his uncompromising, um, you know, uncontaminated uh, love for the Lord. And it, it came through an implosion in the family. But I tell you, it produced. What it's produced since, uh, we'll get into that, I guess, start of the side of the story, has been nothing short of miraculous. I mean, during those times, we ran with like the bad, bad Leroy Browns in town. I mean, most of my friends are good boys, but they're, you know, they sell drugs. They do drugs. They, we would either drink or fight. That's what we would do. There wasn't a lot of ambition for success. It feels like this generation, there, there's a ton of people that really value good grades and stuff like that. That was not a value. When I was in school, it was like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but that was not a value. 
and um, we just couldn't care any less. And um, all that was going on at home, I think, um, probably, you know, helped to create wanting to disconnect a little bit from reality because it was so heavy at times. Was but your dad I, was your dad aware of that? I wonder. I mean, just kind of, or my was dad all just was, good at hiding it. He was a good guy, but he, you know, being a good guy in the Greek culture is you work twenty four hours a day. You know, you work like a dog, and um, that's your job. Your job is provider. And you know, he was he was at t ball practice and stuff like that. But outside of that, it was mostly mom. So dad would check out early in the morning, seven o'clock. He's on his way up to the office and he's getting home somewhere after dark, you know, every day. And y'all were, y'all were living with him during the time of separation. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, like I said, probably just a sophomore in high school. Chris was a junior. Um, and Matthew is probably not even in middle school yet. And, um, we, we were living, we actually slept on the floor a couple nights. Um, when she packed up everything and left, that was a sobering night for us. I think we're like, is this really happening? Like this is, you know, but, um, so they, so God miraculously restores the marriage. I, and, and I've, I've described this in only ways that I could try to try to communicate with words. Cause it's very difficult, but I will say this, if you would have told me that we were going to be lottery winners, I would have sooner believed you than have believed the story that God put together for us because within years of a process where it started with one man and his stance towards God and then affected an entire family, saw a marriage restored, saw a family restored. We fast forward a couple of years are all playing in the same family worship band. And, you know, I wouldn't, if there's, there is nothing I would have believed less than that. My jaw is like on the ground. I mean, just like, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, unbelievable. None of us were musical to begin with. Like that wasn't like a thing. We, we didn't like have musician in the back pocket of our repertoire. My dad was a, a lawyer. Uh, you know, me and my brothers, I mean, everybody aspires to, to play an instrument at one time for about five minutes, but nobody could play a lick, you know. Um, and let's see if I can bridge the gap here. So, Six months out, my parents are in this little love bubble. God's restoring things. Um, we we began to question whether or not this was a real thing. You know, we figured they were in a cult. My dad used to give me terrible advice. He told me, I said, Dad, now keep in mind, I'm on drugs and chasing every girl that walks. My dad, I said, Dad, there's some kids at school praying. They're calling themselves born-again believers. What is that? Stay away from them. They're a cult. That was what my dad said before he met Jesus. That's how, yeah, that's how little experience we had with anything that had to do with God or the scripture or whatever, just purely religious background. And, um, and so, you know, I had basically had him sanction my, you know, um, whole, wholehearted rebellion towards anything that was good or godly. I like, he could have said, yeah, that's a good thing. Those are good people. They're praying, you know, not even close. And so um, we didn't know anything, but stay away from the people that are praying. <laughs> like, so, listen up, dads who are listening. <laughs> like, that might, yeah. you, you might save some trouble for your kids. Seriously. Um, 
So a um, couple, couple months goes by after this bubble, six months, they're in their love bubble. God's restoring their relationships. We're all, we're naysayers. We're doubting what's really happened. Our family, my uncle no longer talks to my dad, who no longer talks to his brother. It split the family right down the middle. Um, and what I can say is, um, I don't know if it's this way in every culture, but in Greek culture, if you step away from the Greek Orthodox Church, you are no longer Greek. And so there is a ton of persecution that comes right at the onset um, where people will disown their children. Um, people will walk away from your business. They will no longer do business with you. Um, of course, they'll talk about you and whatever, but you'll be shunned, you pariah, that kind of thing. And so that happened. Was and that the reason your uncle and your dad split? I mean, because yeah. he left the church? It wasn't because he left the church because nobody was even a good Greek Orthodox. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were, we were probably flunky Greek Orthodox, but my, uh, my uncle and my dad stopped talking because everybody picked sides and they, they would have sooner held on to their hurt, their pain, their unforgiveness, than believe that it was God behind this reconciliation, forgiveness, and love. Okay. So that, that's how that went down. And so, <clears throat> It's hard, you know, you hear, you hear stories about people and without a real work of the Lord and softening your heart, it's kind of hard to let certain things go. The way your loved one was treated and that kind of stuff. And people pick up your offense when you tell them about what somebody else did to you, especially if they love you. And so I'm sure many were well-intentioned, but it, but it did split the family right down the middle. Mm. Um, fast forward, I'm 17 years old, um, so a couple years. This stuff didn't wear off. The Jesus stuff didn't wear off. My dad um, has influenced me enough for me to realize I do need a savior. And, you know, I was always a good kid. I always prayed when I found out that people died. I started praying. But I just didn't, you know, it was like, God bless my mom, bless my dad, bless my grandpa. Don't let anybody die tonight. Amen. And, um, but at some point around 17, I knew I needed a savior. I, I, I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew I felt really bad about what I was doing. And so um, we had a family baptismal. And, and um, I, by this time, my dad had kind of increased a little bit in his awareness. He's deciding to be baptized himself. So this is kind of strange. And you know, the further you get away from it, the more you realize it doesn't happen to everybody quite like this. My grandfather, my dad, my mom, my aunts, my brothers um, were all baptized on the same day. And the glory of the Lord touched down at that baptismal service. Oh, my um, goodness. At, at some lady's pool. It was my aunt, not even some lady, my aunt Popey. So my dad's aunt, she's my great aunt. Um, and um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that weighty atmosphere. I didn't know. I didn't have words to describe it. I just felt compelled to get in that water. People were jumping in that didn't even belong in the water. And we were getting baptized and calling oh, out wow. on, yeah, calling out on the name of the Lord. So it was a, a marking day, um, like very few I've ever been around or in. And I've baptized tons of people since. And um, they, they, it does happen. I just, I've never seen a whole family like that. Do you remember day. the day, like the time of month or the day or? Um, it had to been probably in the end of summer, beginning of fall, probably about this time of year, maybe September, October. Okay. I wish I was a dates guy. I'm not as good as I'd like to be with that. Um, 
You may need to start asking some family members. That'd be a cool thing to to mark. That is un yeah. it's so amazing. Not many of them left. My mom uh, was there. I, I, I've lost quite a few of them um, through the years, but um, you know, normal normal stuff. But um, I, I I think I might have a picture somewhere. But I'm pretty young. Um, like I said, I'm probably 17. My older brother's 19. My little brother's 11. We all get baptized on the same day with my grandpa, my dad, the whole lot of us, and didn't really change anything to be honest with you. I called on the name of the Lord. I got baptized. It, what it did change is I had an awareness for myself for the, for the first time in my life that I, I, I had problems, I couldn't fix them, and I felt bad about what I was doing. Because before, I didn't really feel bad at all. Now I started feeling bad when I started doing bad stuff. Um, so go off to college, still very much in the world, doing world stuff, running around, chasing girls, you know, whatever I can do to get in trouble slightly feeling more more and more bad about that and by the time i'm just you get, you get, wait where'd you go to college jason oh florida state don't hold that against me though okay okay uh, no no okay it's okay don't worry we're not yeah. gators okay <laughs> okay good it's it's very divisive in florida so okay now now governor DeSantis has put out that don't tread on me gator thing the gators think they got everybody on the run it's not true you know <laughs> so apparently the states have all their rivals. I mean, Mike and I are, you know, our friends are very different schools. We're not going to get into that. So sorry. I just wanted to see where you went to school. So, okay. Yeah, keep Florida, on. Florida state. So love my time up there. Uh, my junior, my sophomore year, me and my girlfriend at the time um, was, is my wife. Now we dated since we were 17. So she started coming into my life right around this time. So she saw everything, um, you know, from going off to Mexico on a senior trip and just about dying. If it wasn't for that woman, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. She got me, me literally um, got me through the last night I was there. I just, we went to the pharmacy and took everything that they had. And then turns out those pills kick in after a while. Um, like I said, it was very fortunate, very fortunate that we made it back alive, at least for me. And it was because of her, but we dated on and off in, in high school towards the end of our senior year. And then right on into um, our first couple of years of college. During this time, she's watching our family and uh, seeing this whole thing go down. Go, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I'm just... So, you got something? No, go ahead, you're good. Maka, you can so she's watching this that. whole thing go down. She, can't, she, she doesn't know what to believe. We're still very much having sex on a regular She's seeing me smoke weed on a regular, drink until I can't stand, um, you know, and and basically be a good guy with some real problems. And uh, at this time, I'm in the junior college, which is Tallahassee Community College, because I couldn't get the grades to get into Florida State, which is really saying something because they definitely have a lower entry level uh, <laughs> requirement, but barely made it into junior college because I couldn't care less about school, but my dad wanted me out of town to get away from my friends. And so I'm up there and um, isolated from my friends, which was probably a very good thing. Um, some of them got into some pretty serious trouble um, with the law after I left. We were already in trouble, but, you know, um, serious prison time. And so um, I'm up at Florida State, one of my only people that I, one of, I'm the only one in, out of our little clique group 
that ended up going to college out of school. And, um, <clears throat> and um, my wife and I are, are dating and going back and forth. Long story short, she tells me, um, or I, I tell her one night, I said, listen, I need to know where you stand on Jesus. And I sat up straight in the bed and told her that. And she says, what? I said, I can't have sex anymore with you. Can't do it. God's put it on my heart. I can't do it. Where do you stand with Jesus? I need to know tonight. And she looked at me like I was absolutely flat crazy. Um, realized something, something had changed in me. Um, and what had changed in me was I had an experience with the Lord um, there in Florida State by myself. We rented a duplex off of White Avenue just out off campus. My brother had graduated uh, sophomore year of college. He's gone now as a senior. Um, I call my dad one night, which was normal for me. And when I pick up the phone and heard his voice, I started weeping, not crying, but weeping. And I was my normal routine to call him and just, you know, how are you doing? You know, what's going on today? Whatever. He was my friend, you know, um, and God had really already begun to restore that relationship with my dad. And so I couldn't even make the words hello out of my mouth. Well, after about five or 10 minutes of, of whimpering on the phone, trying to make the words out, hello, my dad said, are you okay? Like he didn't know if I was in a car accident or at gunpoint, like he didn't know what was going on. And I just said, by the time I could make out the words, and by this time, I'm completely sobbing and in and, and, and tears. I said, Dad, I think I'm losing my mind. Um, like I said, I'm 20, 19. And um, he says, I know what's going on. I'm like, thank God somebody knows what's going on. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm going to pray for you. I said, really? Okay. Well, that can't hurt. I got on my face that night. And I laid out before the Lord. My dad started praying. I don't remember what he said. But I, I made a promise to the Lord that day on the floor. And if I could have put my head through the, through the pavement, that wouldn't have been low enough. I felt like going through the ground. And my forehead was just flat, pressed up against the concrete. And I said, Lord, if you take my life, it belongs to you forever. I don't care if you, I'm a garbage man or the president. I could care less. It belongs to you. I don't want it. Um, I, uh, I try to describe that feeling as I, as I try to get the words out that I told my dad, I was losing my mind, but for your, for your listeners, it was a feeling of hopelessness. Like if you stepped off of a cliff and just started to fall, that feeling where your stomach goes into your mouth, it was like that upon the realizing the plan I had for my life wasn't going to work. It was like in a moment, God showed me how foolish this whole paradigm of what I had put together was. And I was like, Oh my God, it's not going to work. My, my plan isn't going to work. This is so stupid. What was I thinking? And I, and I had come up with a, what I thought was a genius plan to look at all the attributes of all the friends around me, um, see all their strengths and all of the attributes that you would really want to have, and then take the ones that I thought were good and then leave the bad ones. I thought like Voltron, I'm going to assemble I'm going to assemble myself and I'll take the strength and the trustworthiness and the smarts and I'll just make myself. And that's how I'll, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't have told anybody that, but that's what was happening 
you know, with 20 years of perspective behind me, that's what I was doing. That was my plan for living. And in a moment, God showed me how foolish was. And it was the most hopeless feeling. It was like, wow, up until this point, now nothing mattered. My plan was shot. And all I could do was call out on, on the Lord. And, and I didn't even know really how. And so my dad says, somehow he knew, I'm going to pray for you. Got on my face and gave my life to the Lord that night. And what I now know he, he did was he filled me with the Holy Spirit. Oh, you know, man. the Bible says that, um, that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be something. Well, up until that point, I wanted to be what I wanted to be. But when I said, my life belongs to you, it's no longer mine. I give it to you. I don't care what you want to do with it. The Bible turns out is true. And he did what he said he would do, which was now the Holy, the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is going to be marked upon your life for you to be what I've made you to be. Mm. And so I learned that the first kingdom that gets overthrown is the one that's right at the throne of our heart. And man, I tell you what, I woke up from that prayer. I don't know how many hours I spent on that floor that night. I, cr I cried a, a pool of tears. And I woke up from that prayer with the most ridiculous joy I have ever had. Like uh, up until that point in my life, I would have told you I had seen some stuff. I had been through some stuff. I had seen, you know, fights and drugs and divorce and reconciliation and yada, yada, yada. And when I woke up that next day, it felt all brand new. So when that happened, I mean, when you prayed, when you surrendered, did was God um, beating you up about your past? Oh, man. Not only was he not beating me up about my past, I had a revelation. Now, that's different than an idea. That is something that God does in your heart where he removes a veil, like he removes blind man's scales from his eyes. It wasn't, it wasn't marvelous. It wasn't good. It was life after death. It was, I was a dead man. Now I'm alive. I felt like somebody else was looking through my eyes. It was the most bizarre feeling in the world. And when I sensed that and I felt his love and I looked outside and the sky was blue and the trees were green and there was joy, it was like everything was right with the world. It, you could sense the manifest love of the father. And it's so intoxicatingly good. It'll make you act like a whack crazy person because you feel literally drunk with his love. It's, it, 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 it makes you, I mean, I understand what happened in the book of Acts when they said these men must be drunk because I would roll down the window and instead of yelling at my brother, you know, who had had an experience with Jesus before me to turn down that worship music and being a goody goody. I was experiencing this crazy love and sticking my head out the window on the way to go surfing, yelling, Jesus, I love you. And going, you know, to Pensacola and Panama city to go surf by myself with Jesus for a couple hours in between classes. And um, I'm like, I have lost it. I am. I have legit lost it. And, and, and as a, as a complete secondary thing, the drug started falling away. The desires for the wrong things stopped from the inside out. And I'm like, holy cow, this is what I've been looking for. All of a sudden, instead of trying to be good and trying to read the Bible, I would zip through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in a, in a night or two, you know, and just zip through the scriptures and 
Um, and it wasn't burdensome. It was all joy. So it was more like a, you know, when you're, when you're saying that it reminds me of a lot of times we'll try to fix our behavior. We'll try to hit this, the high level stuff first, but your story, your testimony was like, no, I surrendered. And then from the inside, I got changed. And then that just started impacting everything without even probably doing much action on your part. Yes. All that. And, and, you know, you might have guys that they do a lot of time in church. We didn't do that much time in church. I didn't get prayed for at church. We, we, um, weren't, we just didn't have that as part of our value system. And thank God, because we didn't end up with a lot of really bad um, baggage from that stuff. But when people tell me about, you know, the power of God being real or not real, I'm like, Hey man, you can argue with somebody's doctrine, but you can't argue with what happened to me. I mean, I was in, in complete love with God because I felt his love for me. And I thought, man, if this is what he, if this is who he is and this is what he's about, there is literally nothing better than this. I've tried most of it. And this is the best thing I've ever had. He's the best thing I've ever had. I mean, he makes you rich and adds no sorrow to it. You know, his love is sweeter than wine. I was just absolutely over the moon that the father was alive, that he loved me and that he didn't want anything from me. In fact, what he, all he wanted from me was for him, for me to know that he loved me. And that's just as, as good as it gets. So the culmination of all those things, I may be jumping ahead, but is that part of the reason why he decided to jump in and be a pastor of a church? Oh, no, no, no. That's a whole nother <laughs> segment. That's a, that's so, so, so I by this time, the gun, my bad. Yeah. No, no, keep going. Yeah. Don't jump his head, Micah. Yeah. You know, you you might, maybe you, you read my, my memoirs, but it, so now we, we, um, we're, everybody's having experiences with the Lord. My older brother's had an experience with the Lord that I, I completely ridiculed him for. Now I've had this crazy experience with God and nobody can tell me any different. And, um, my dad was attending a church, a Greek priest here in town, Father Sam Calamaris, who had been touched. He's now he's a Greek priest, wears the robes, has the collar, got touched at a Benny Hinn meeting, got healed, I should say, began to tell the local church that you should be born again. Now, you wouldn't think that's very, that's, that, that's everything a priest should say, but not in our tradition. Um, when he started saying that the church wanted him out of town, they, they wanted to defrock him, which, which basically means your health insurance, your house, your parsonage, your hundred thousand dollar job is gone, your car, all that. So he wasn't backing down at that time. And a local doctor, medical doctor, who's a world-class eye surgeon here in town, um, Dr. Gills, who's, who's come to church, our church since, offered his medical practice right down the street, which is, like I said, it's world-class cataract institute. It's not even a, like a little practice. It's a monster right on the Anclote river, right in the middle of town, offered one of his halls upstairs so that this Greek priest could continue to have church services that looked a lot like a Greek priest would in a normal Greek church service, except he's telling people to be born again. And he's having a piano player play worship music. And so, um, you know, my dad's been attending this meeting um, and someone came to that meeting, decided to um, prophesy a word. 
I don't remember what, because I wasn't, I was up at school at this time, but basically it split a 20 member church, 10, 10 left and 10 stayed. Well, at that time, as a young practicing lawyer, again, dad still not really made a ton of money. Um, you know, he's just saved. He uh, is just kind of getting his bearings about him. He was ready to mortgage his house to fund this guy's ministry with three little kids in a, in a burgeoning practice where he's a solo practitioner now. He opened his own practice. And um, so very risky. Uh, you got $10,000 in the bank and you're ready to go to go to town bankrolling a guy. And so um, you don't know when the next client's walking in, you know, it, you know, you're still pretty young in the game. And so um, during that time, that same T-ball guy, um, which has now become a dear friend of mine, he's a father in the faith to me, Steve Smurlis, uh, turns out he was a missionary to Mexico for 40 years. He trailblazed missionary work in the Yucatan and other places to unreached people groups. And he's just an amazing man, sponge diver, spear fisherman, hard dude, flew planes himself um, in Vietnam. Um, and he, he said, well, George, you know, until we figure out what's going on and what you should do until the Lord speaks, why don't we just, you know, have a Bible study at the house, open up your house and we'll learn what the Bible says. Cause at this time, no one knows what the scriptures are. So he says, okay, begins the, the Bible study. This is like 97, 98, something like that. And we start hosting a Bible study out of our house somewhere along the line. Someone says, hey, we should turn to the book of Psalms. You know, they're singing. I'm like singing? What? This is just completely revolutionary. I mean, we hear, we, we heard chanting in the, you know, the priest would chant back and forth. The Salties, the psalm, like the psalmist in Greek, Salties. Um, but we didn't know anything about being part of the singing. You just stand up and sit down when they tell you to. Uh, most of the services are in, Orth uh, in Greek. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> so... We start having the Bible study. We start um, increasing the scriptures. My dad buys a guitar and there begins the worship ministry in our house. And my dad bought, a, I think like a $200 Ibinez guitar. Immediately really realized it was a, a huge mistake to buy a cheap instrument and hope to play well. But we learned the hard way. And um, we went from one guitar around a little table to um, dozens and dozens of world-class instruments. Um, and, um, my dad had a habit of buying fancy guitars and giving them to worship leaders all over the country. And so, you know, he would buy beautiful Taylor guitars and McPherson's and, you know, stuff that you see on Nashville, whatever country shows, giving those away and sewing them into people. Um, he sewed a beautiful 12 string Taylor into a local, uh, friends ministry here in town. He played it to the day he died. And he said it to, you know, he was a local pastor. So this is the nicest thing anybody's ever given me. And um, I don't know what it is about fathers taking a stand, but I can tell you it makes all the difference in the world. Mothers are amazing too. I mean, parents in general taking a stand are awesome, but there is something about a man following the Lord um, and, and just, you know, being in love with a man named Jesus. You know, I gave a speech in college. I said, I'm in love with a man and his name is Jesus. And you should have seen their faces, but I, I'm telling you, there's something wild about that to children. Children see that 
children can't, you know, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just a godly thing. And it's a lamb for a house. It really is. And um, <clears throat> my dad continued in that direction, thank God, and continued to sow into certain areas and specifically worship leading. The, the fellowship church began um, as a house meeting. And it's still very close to its beginnings in terms of what we actually do. Um, we gather in, in a small gathering. Um, still, we've had world-class people come through. We've had our people go out and be planted at mega ministries and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool. There's another, there's another pretty well-known family here in town who's, who was taking a stand for Jesus um, the, the people would talk about these two Greek families who had these underground meetings in Tarpon that you could hear about being born again. And one was the Clemens family and the other was the Koulianis family. And their son, Michael, was a friend of ours um, going through high school, still is, and he's a world-class minister in Orlando, happens to be Benny Hinn's son-in-law. And um, so just a weird, you know, thing. And uh, the ministry part of, of, of uh, my walk, to your point, had nothing to do with feeling like I wanted to go into ministry. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, the Lord got a hold of my life when I was 20. And I just knew all of a sudden I loved being alive. I had joy for the first time. I loved God with everything I had and nothing, nothing else really mattered to me um, in terms of accomplishment or anything like that. I was just like, okay, <laughs> what do you, who, who are you, God? Like, this is the joy of my life. Now, what do I do with all this? Began to excel in school, um, ended up transferring to Florida State, graduating with honors. Yes, it was in fine art, but, you know, you know, there's a lot of history in it, you know. And, <laughs> oh, that's still a win, man. We're not going to doggy for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Bachelor of Science in Fine Art. But I, I will say my, you know, my grandpa was an art teacher. My grandparents were art collectors. It's what inspired me. And I was, I was just really connecting with my heart for the first time in my life since I was a little boy. And I was like, dude, I like art. I'm not going to apologize for it. This is the only thing that lights my fire. This and Jesus. Thinking about Jesus, surfing and doing this, that's it. I don't, I don't really care about anything else. And um, so God was just becoming very real to us. We were starting to have the house meetings. Um, my dad was starting to play guitar really poorly, singing out of tune constantly. Nobody knew what they were doing. Um, my friend Steve was teaching most of the meetings. Um, he turns out, I didn't even know what an apostle was. Turns out he is that. He is a foundation layer. He, he literally sets things in order. That's who he is. Uh, and, he, and a little unbeknownst to us, we just thought he was a T-ball dad. And um, God had this monster of a, min a minister and just uncompromising God man right there, right where we needed him. And um, we just didn't know what we had, you know, we've realized over the years, uh, just, it, just who it is. But um, that's how the house meeting started. Uh, fast forward, graduated college, me and my wife made it through seeing each other get filled with the Holy Ghost, walking through, you know, you pray in tongues, I don't pray in tongues, like this is weird, I don't know anything about the scripture, all that stuff, going to our first, you know, assemblies of God church were like, what is this is culture shock, you know, from where we come from and we love God, but we don't know about this. This is weird. And, um, you know, just a real sincere faith and a hunger for God. Um, that continued. We uh, tried to get married 
and uh, didn't work. We waited. We, we, we at that at this point we had dated from seventeen to twenty four, and we tried to we got engaged. Ended up calling it off, and it was because that old religious um, thing reared its head from a lot of pressure from outside from the family. Um, she would have been the first girl in her family married outside the Greek church. Um, and so dealing with that as a little girl who loves her dad and very difficult on my wife, you know, and I didn't have as much compassion. I was like, this is right. We're doing what's right. Everybody else can go, you know, piss up a rope. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I was that guy. And uh, so God had to soften me, you know, that it, it's not the same for everyone. And I don't know what it's like to have a dad that didn't support me in that regard because my dad was leading the way, you know, and uh, my dad loved my wife. Um, we ended up getting married a couple years later. God miraculously restored our um, our relationship in, in literally a moment. And then dad, then dad died 2009, July 2nd. We were having... Um, we are having lunch at the office. My dad's law office shared with our real estate office. Um, you know, I got out of school, started in the family business, started as a real estate agent in like 2004, 2003, started kind of, you know, learning the business. And then 2006, it was amazing. It was awesome. Um, had personal issues with my wife. We finally reconcile and, you know, we get married. We weren't even, I guess we weren't husband and wife at the time. We were engaged. We reconcile, get married. And then wham, 2008 and nine rolls through, biggest uh, real estate dip since the Great Depression. They're dropping like flies. My dad's my, dad's my business partner at this time. Um, he's a um, trust attorney and so does some contract work. I get to do some of his estate stuff when estates come through and sell some of the properties and that kind of thing when it, when it works out and great referral source. We're having lunch one day and, and he's gone and um, heart attack is what they said. My mom, my, my wife, my little brother, my grandmother, my aunt, um, we were all in the conference room along with two of his office staff when he died. He died in my mom's arms right there at the table. And uh, my dad always said, if I go, I want to go quick. And he was out on a lightning bolt. I prayed every prayer I knew. You know, and um, we actually, this is going to be a weird one, but we actually have a testimony of dead men rising in our family. Mm. And um, so I thought, oh, I've seen this one before. I know what's going to happen. We're going to lay hands on dad. He's going to get off that floor. And he didn't. You know, I prayed every prayer and believed God with all my heart. And and um, he was gone, man. What I think was he his got age at the time? Uh, he was 54. Give and an right, at the, right at the conference room and the lunch table with you guys. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was 29 and he was 54. And um, like I said, he had had a similar eerily. He had a similar experience with his dad, his dad, um, after he had received the Lord and that whole thing, they're praying over the food. One day, his dad died as they're saying grace over the food. My dad jumped on top of his dad's chest, said, Jesus, help. Mom called 911. He was gone soiled his pants 15 minutes no oxygen should have been brain dead with the help of the emts and the doctors he comes back no brain damage completely fine has a vision of heaven oh my gosh. and um 
we carry that testimony as family. You know, we, we know what God can do. And, and so it was a, the struggle of my life to get through the loss of my dad in that way, because we're just so tied in by this time, you know, dad, dad is my pastor. Now it's not even dad. You know, he's the pastor of the local house church. He's my business partner. And we go to Friday, we go to, we leave work early on Fridays and go catch a movie together, you know, and we, you know, go fishing together and stuff. So God had really restored our relationship where, you know, my dad was my friend and um, probably my closest friend and easily my biggest supporter. And I know not everybody can say that, but that was a real work of God too. I took the Holy Spirit to see that come to fruition. And uh, we went through a real difficult challenge as a family um, with that. We had to sell his law practice. We had to um, figure out how to, you know, kind of rethink our business because now the model's different. A lot of that low hanging fruit was gone. And, uh, and then the church. So he was the pastor of the church by this time, you know, he had taken over his senior worship leader, along with his boys leading in the band, and then uh, was the pastor of the church. He had a pastor's heart. And so I'm like thrust into this opportunity to, this tremendous opportunity to be a pastor. I, I had no idea how much fun it was. My, my brothers and I laugh about it because they're like, dude, only a crazy person would want to be a pastor. Oh, um, did y'all draw, did you like draw straws on who's going <laughs> to well, be the pastor? Yeah, my little brother was only like 19 or 20. So he okay. was like just in college. Christopher was out West uh, working for Joel Olstein, I believe, for his young adults ministry. Maybe he had just moved over to um, Pastor Randy Needham over at uh, Houston Worship Center, which is now the dwelling place. But he had only been there a handful of years. And he actually, he said, man, when I came back, I was ready to leave Houston come back because his wife's a medical doctor. She was over at the uh, big medical thing down there in um, Houston, uh, the giant medical plaza down there. And um, he's like, I was ready to leave Houston, come back and take over the house church. That's, that's how strongly he felt about it. We actually ended up preaching my dad's funeral. We played worship at the funeral. We, we preached the funeral and open casket and the whole nine. And uh, my brother said, as you spoke at the pulpit that night, the Lord said, he has this and released my brother that night from the responsibility. And so I didn't even have to talk to Chris. Um, he saw something. My brother, my, my brother, Chris, uh, is a very discerning guy and uh, loves the Lord. Just one of the best men I know. And um, he was right. The Lord put something on me that night. I didn't see coming. And others, others did, but I didn't, and not even something I wanted. And so I ended up running, running head, headlong into trying to pick up the slack at the office, trying to pick up the slack with my mother, my grandmother, my dad's mom was still alive, helping her. And then, um, you know, I, my wife was pregnant when my dad died. She, he never met my, my baby. My, uh, my wife was uh, six months pregnant. That was July and November. Zoe came, my first, my first baby. And, um, you know, it was just a tough season, man. Between that and the difficulties in real estate, I think I was working like three jobs and, you know, trying to hold it together and trying to work my way through whatever it means to be a pastor. I didn't have any, I, I, you know, I didn't have any 
any grid for that really. Uh, it was like listening to Yoda, you know, when my dad was up there, you put me up there. It's like baby Skywalker, maybe <laughs> it's pathetic. You know? well, so kind of looking back through that time period, just after his death and taking over, you know, the pasture role and real estate and all that hardness and ha- having kiddos and like, where was God in all that? Now, now that you have some time between you and then, because I know when we're in the middle of that, man, it doesn't, you can't, we can't see it. No, hard. no, I mean, I can't, but... Anybody who's listening, you know, where's God in the midst of the storm? He can, every, every New Testament story can always be found in the midst of the storm. He didn't bring the storm, but he's always able to be found. That's a true story. Um, God was there. I tell you what, what got me through that period was his grace and his love. No doubt. Community was incredibly important. Um, and, and being connected to people. I don't use that word cheaply. Um, I'm a very, loyalty is a high, high value for me. And the people that I really love, I really love. And I, and I'm, I'm there for, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll do whatever I can to, to be there for them. I, I don't hold back for better or for worse. And, um, with that being said, man, the people were there and there was so much support from our small but potent community um, where people were just, you know, loving on us. And, and then I saw God's hand bringing other people around. Um, as odd as this sounds, if you've lost someone, um, whether it's a parent or, or whatever the case may be, I found that um, God has some way of becoming all and in all. And um, it's one of the miraculous ways that Jesus is just awesome. But he started showing up for me through other, other godly men relationships. Like guys would just be like, you know, hey, I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to, you know, people would start pouring into me and um, friends that just had a heart for our family for no real reason. And not, not everyone. There was plenty of people who didn't. There's plenty of people who only could give what they could give, but I did see God's hand on specific people at that time. Nobody replacing my dad, nobody trying to fill that void, just God showing me that he had a provision for me because I don't care what you say, we're as sons, we, we love our dads. Um, even the ones that are difficult, we love them. And um, God created us that way. I mean, the Godhead is a picture of necessity of those relationships. And Jesus was a grown man too, but he always needed his father. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think that makes you weak. I think that makes you godly and that abiding dependence, not on a man, but on what God has inside of a man, the presence of the Lord inside of other people around you is, is really a godly thing. That's what, that's how church is supposed to work. And so, um, I'm just so thankful for my people around me and um, because it got worse before it got better. We went through storm after storm. My mom as a young widow um, trying to think about getting remarried and bringing different people in. And uh, it was a mess and there were substance issues along the way. And, you know, just trying to navigate all those things. And then, you know, um, trying to be a young dad and, and see it. It's just, it was, it was a roller coaster. Um, I will say that, um, all those who put their trust in God will never be put to open shame. He has not let me down on one thing, but I also had to see that mystery that I was walking through at that moment 
as an opportunity. And I, and I believe I, this is a complete plagiarization of Bill Johnson's time with his dad. But I will tell you this, I took a page out of his book, said, I don't need to recreate the wheel. God, I don't understand why my dad's gone. I don't know if you took him or if the enemy took him or if he made bad choices or what happened. I don't know how you're going to bring the business back. I don't know how you're going to restore the family. I can never live up to his shoes. But I said, God, somehow, some way, I just turn over all those things to you. And I, and I, in despite of not having the answers on that, I love you. I know that you are faithful. I trust you. I'm not going to allow this moment to define who I am. You're the one who speaks to who I am. And so um, in doing that, I really offered that time as a sacrificial thing to the Lord and just said, man, you know, if you're not my help, no one is. And that's fine. And I kind of like it that way. What and, a free, um, what a freedom issue. I mean, what a freeing thing to say and do. I mean, that had to yeah. throw some weight off your back. Uh, it, 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 you had two ways to go and it, and it went for freedom. Thank you, Lord. Could have gone the other way and crushed you into a mm -hmm. hole. Um, and I, and like I said, it was just a choice. And, um, but I will say, I'm so thankful for God's grace to make the right choice. And I, I will, I have a, a testimony is a very high value for us as well. And even as we're talking about this, like I, the last thing I would want is for anybody to hear this and think, man, you know, that's great for you, but you don't understand. I don't understand, but I can tell you the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what God has done for me, I am a steward over, if only to be able to announce to you today how much he's a love, in love with you, how ready, willing, and able he is to, to come into your situation, and how faithful he is. I mean, if, if I left this planet tomorrow, not too many people would hardly care. But I tell you this, this testimony uh, and what you guys do is so beautiful, man, will go on. Um, and if it touches one, if it touches a million, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the way that you encourage people. I thank you for, for who you are and the reality of your presence, Lord. And I thank you for the beautiful liberty that, that, that you provide. You said who, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so, Father, I just thank you for those who are listening. I thank you for that, Lord. I'm sorry, I, I broke down into prayer. I, I tend to. Um, no, I was going to ask you too, and you just buttoned it up beautifully. Like, you know, yeah. what, what is your encouragement to people? And you just you yeah. did it. I mean, and do you have a life message kind of land the plane with those two things and you've done it. I'm not going to add anything to okay. that amazing testimony, but was that it? You're like, that's kind of the yeah. life message. And that's yeah, your encouragement. I really felt really um, soberly this morning as I was driving. I was like, I don't know what they're going to ask me to do. I kind of wanted to give you a testimony, but I thought, you know, if I went out on one having given, I'd love to give you the one that for fathers and um, for hope and for restoration. I mean, there's about 10 in there, but maybe a million in there testimony wise. But that's the theme I wanted your um, your crew to hear. Yeah. So hope and restoration. And I love that you said like he has never let you down. Now, he's a sure bet. I can tell you, it, it, it even says in Habakkuk chapter three, it says, if your father and mother cast you out, I'll take you up and be a father to you. I'm a father to the fatherless in the holy habitation. And I have prayed that prayer. And I, and when I felt sorry for myself, when I see other people enjoying their parents and well, whatever, 
and, I, and, and you know, you, you start to, you know, long for that person that you love. And I said, you know what, God, yep, there'll, there'll be a day on that. But I tell you what, I am so thankful for the way that you fill and you become all in all. And, you know, he, he just is, is able to move into those places that you'll open up to him. And um, I'm just so thankful for the way he does that. Jason, thank you. Oh my goodness. Your story and that testimony and your, your um, willingness to be so real and so open like that's an encouragement to me and us. And I'm just so grateful. But how does somebody connect with you if they want to connect? And if you're in the, if you're in the, your area, tell us just a minute about the real estate, because, um, yeah. you know, to tell us a bit what you do, how they connect from that end and how does somebody just connect yeah, yeah, with yeah. you? So real estate, I mean, real estate in Florida is bananas. We, <laughs> before I got on this call, just sent over a, a proposal for a $25 million real estate portfolio. So I literally hit send and then jumped on the call. <laughs> um, and so I, if I came on a little flustered, it's because it's uh, that's not a normal, uh, not a big shot. It's a, a very, uh, it's just an amazing opportunity that's come my way from being in the real estate business for 17 years. I, um, you know, we don't do a ton of advertising in regards to the church. Um, we're a fellowship, which is made up of a, uh, um, about a dozen or so families and um, the fellowship church is just one block off the main um, drag and tarpon. And we are known for fishing. We're known for Greek food and um, we've got a great diving culture here. I mean, that's why they brought the Greeks over. Um, so we came over as divers for sponges. That's why they call us the sponge capital of the world. Second worst mascot in the country, the spongers, the tarpon high school. Uh, spongers. Um, some people think that that's like SpongeBob SquarePants, but it's not. It's like a guy in a hard hat helmet, like Navy diver with a pitchfork who goes and lives on the bottom of the ocean and collects sponges. It's actually a very hardcore job. Uh, a lot of guys died doing that job. A lot of our grandparents died, uh, grandpas, um, because of, you know, they, they did this stuff at the turn of the century when diving was still very in its infancy. But uh, how you get a hold of us? Man, come to Tarpon Springs, do some fishing, especially you. Yeah. And um, Fellowship Church is at 41 West Center Street, uh, right here in Tarpon. We've got a we're one block from the Spring Bayou, which is literally the center of town. And um, you know, Clemens and Company is my real estate company. Okay, good. You know, we're on the web at different places, okay. but um, you know, would love to help uh, any of your customers or. Uh, any of your people come through if they need some kind of real estate help of course we, okay. we love we're honored to serve people it's more to it's more to us a ministry than it is a job because i just feel like there's something very special about connecting people with either their home their dream home their their business it feels like a godly thing to bring them to their home yeah and so um it's real it's a real pleasure for me to get to know people that way as well great well we'll, we'll be able to link those up on the notes and jason bless yeah. you Thank you for no, your time today. I don't know if that if that works or not, but that's all I had. You're yeah, good. We're gonna have to do a version two and the third one year after year because I don't think we touched it. I mean, yeah, no. we touched a great thing, but I, you know, there's there's so much more we could have pulled out of that. Yeah, and that's what's so beautiful. I think the way, like, just how authentic you were. I'm just grateful that it speaks for itself, and we're gonna listen to it and then dive in and pick parts. So you got to promise another round with us. 
you say when i appreciate you guys thank um, you thank you thank thanks you for me. thanks for allowing me to be a part you bet talk to you later jason hey have a blessed day hey this is micah me and josh would like to thank you for joining us in the story field today we hope you've enjoyed our discussion and to learn more about us and the story field visit thestoryfield.com this podcast is sponsored by the allen firm legal guides for many of life's situations. To learn more about the Allen Firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. Have a blessed day, week, and year, and we will see you next time on The Story Field. This is Josh again. I just wanted to thank you for listening and let you know that this podcast is really about hope and about giving you hope for your life. So if you're listening and you're in a place where you're really feeling hopeless right now, or if you do not know Jesus, we have some great news to share with you and would love a chance to pray for you. Email us at hope at allenlawfirm.com. That's hope at allenlawfirm.com. And we'll reach out to you soon. Thank you for listening. God bless you.